Hello and welcome to Fan Fuel, a podcast fueling talk about motorsports from a fan's perspective. My name is Alex Harrington and I'm joined by my co-host Nathan Ball. We're going to be doing weekly podcasts that are going to be based around some topics that you and I choose. And by you and I, I do mean you fans. We want to talk about what's important to you in the world of motorsports. We're going to be talking mostly about NASCAR, particularly the Cup Series, but we are welcome to and will be covering other motorsports events, including F1 IndyCar and endurance racing. To start episode one off, we'll talk about the Rolex 24 at Daytona. And so, Nathan, let's get into it. Uh, we both watch from different perspectives. I was at the track. You were watching from your couch. What did you see uh, from the TV side? I think, obviously, the number one concern with TV coverage is always going to be commercials, no matter what series it is. And I think, yes, there was a lot of commercials. I mean, it's kind of to be expected at a big event. But, I mean, I can't complain because they were doing side-by-side for almost every ad break that I saw it was they were side by side, which is a lot better than say you know NASCAR or IndyCar would normally do. So you know normally I'd be complaining a bunch about the commercials, but the fact that they were all side by side it kind of made up for it. Okay, that was great. Of course, I didn't see any commercials, so uh, being at the track, so um, you would say that's overall good because uh, when we watch NASCAR races. We see commercials any anytime between five and ten laps after we saw the last ones. So I'm glad that they uh, kept that uh, down uh, by using the, the split screen and the side-by-side. Uh, what, what about the five different classes? How did they cover the five different classes, being that I think it was NBC's first time doing the race, correct? Um, I'm pretty sure I want to say they've done it before, but I do think that they did a great job from my perspective. The only thing I think they could have done a little differently is the fact that the addition of LMP3 with the fifth class, I don't think they've ever done LMP3 before. So I think there was a little bit of a struggle trying to incorporate some of those classes into the broadcast because mainly from when I was watching, it was usually the DPI battle. The overall win was their main concern. There was a lot of GTD coverage um, just because it's a very competitive class and, um, GTLM didn't get as much attention as it normally does, just solely due to the fact that there aren't as many cars in the class. So that's something that uh, kind of makes me sad uh, from recent history. You know, we had Porsche just going out. So um, from my perspective at the track, it was very lacking in the GTLM class. Um, so you were saying they were focusing a lot on the DPI. Um, of course, there was a very great race uh, for DPI stuff, but you think it was more because Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott were in DPI more so than the actual racing that was going on? You know, I'm not sure if it was just them or it was the fact that the competition in DPI was closer than it normally is um, with all the manufacturer changes and stuff. I mean, there were only one or two teams that kept the same make, so there was a lot of unknown with the class, and I think that resulted in a lot of competition. But I do think GTD was definitely like the second most covered class from when I was watching the race because there are so many cars in GTD. And there always is, but the racing there was generally good as well. But I was pretty impressed at the fact that they were able to cover the classes to an extent. You know, I don't expect them to be perfect, but they still did good. 
That's good. Um, so tell me about that GTD battle. Uh, being at the track and being a little bit unprepared, I wasn't really able to to tell what was going on unless I was right directly uh, under the PA system with Radio Lamar playing on it. So all I got really from the GTD was the different engine notes and how good those Lamborghinis sounded in the, in the infield. Um, so how good of a race was that for the 24 hours? Oh, I think it was a great race. Honestly, um, it's hard, obviously, to capture every single moment in the race because I didn't see a lot of split screen on the broadcast from different classes. So, like, they would say, you know, hey, look, here's the battle in GTD. We're going to cut to that. And then they'd spend some time focusing on that or highlighting a specific driver and then, you know, going to an ad break and then coming back and saying, look, here's a battle for DPI now. And they would kind of alternate back and forth until, you know, until there was – a lull sort of in the action, but there never really was. There's always something going on. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, there, there was stuff going on, but you know, I couldn't really tell uh, what was going except for that DPI battle. And then of course the lead battle um, and, and GTLM was really easy for me to follow. Um, especially during the day um, after we had done all of the, I guess, carnival aspects of being in the infield um and we woke up on sunday morning watching the race from the stands and listening to the pa everything was a lot easier to keep track of so i do remember that final battle down to the line um with gtd and it was one that didn't really dissolve like the other two uh the other two being gtlm and uh dpi because the lmp2 and three fights from my perspective weren't as good as the other three yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I just think that the LMP3 in general, um, I didn't really see what was going on for most of the race with them because there were so little cars in the class as well as um, the fact that they were the same speed as a GTLM car. There was just a ton of confusion with them. So I, I guess I could understand the fact that it's harder to cover their class. Yeah, um, you could definitely tell. Uh, it was something that I would have been frustrated behind the wheel too, though. Uh, the GTLM and the LMP3 cars were getting in each other's way a lot, and it was almost comical at times um, seeing them going into braking zones and going through the horseshoes and seeing that no one car could get a jump on the other. And you would have lead lap cars in one class versus guys that were a couple laps down in the other class. Vice, you know, vice versa, whether it was GTLM or, or um, LMP3, and and they were all over each other all day, uh, which was very interesting for me to see. I know that's a new class, so it's not been done before, but really, this is the first time that I've actually been able to pay attention to a whole 24 hours of Daytona. So this this past weekend at the Rolex was a really cool experience for me because I've tried and tried to watch it. But I've always fell short. And even though I did sleep at the racetrack this year, I did get to see those things. And it, it was much easier to follow firsthand. Um, but uh, how do you how do you think that the broadcasters did? Because I know NBC brought in um, Kevin Lee. And I know that they had uh, Lee Diffie, who are road guys, IMSA, uh, especially for Kevin Lee. Uh, and they've had plenty of time to, to go over these endurance races uh well, sometimes even with each other, but the NASCAR guys, how did they do broadcasting? I know Dale Jr. being there, uh, Rick Allen, Steve Letarte, Um, how were they in the booth comparative to the guys that 
you know, do this as their day job. You know, I'm surprised. I'll be honest. I think Dale Jr. was very, um, very good compared to his expectations because, you know, I think he exceeded every expectation I had for him. I know that he did a little bit of it last year from the uh, Peacock Pit Box or whatever it's called, but the fact that he was in the booth for a majority of the race and he held his own against the um, IMSA-only commentators, so he showed a genuine he showed a genuine interest in the sport, which is something that can't go. I mean, you can't go without appreciating that. Yeah, that's something that uh, I'm glad that he's come into even NASCAR broadcasting for that reason, because he's such a passionate individual about motorsports uh, in general. Um, so, well, we know that that Dale Jr. did well, but how about, you know, Rick Allen? He's a tough subject for most of the NASCAR guys. You know, I don't even, I don't know if he was there because when I was watching, I, I did hear Kevin Lee. I was at the point, there was probably like 1130 midnight and Diffie went back to the hotel. They brought in Kevin Lee and he was, he was there for an extended period of time. And then at some point Diffie came back in the morning and then took it to the end. I don't know if I ever heard anything from Rick Allen, so I can't really confirm if he was there or not. But I guess um, Kyle Petty was an interesting one for sure. I didn't, I didn't even know he was going to be on the team, so I was surprised when I heard him talking. I'm like, hmm, it's Kyle Petty, and uh, I think he did a good job because I didn't know his background. I didn't realize he had that much experience in the Rolex 24, so that was a pleasant surprise knowing that. did a really good job you know someone someone that you don't normally associate with sports car racing and I guess it's a sign like you can't judge a book by its cover yeah um, I mean if you want to expound upon that uh, everything you just said is kind of news to me of course I didn't watch the racing broadcast so I was being at the track so in what way is Kyle Petty connected to sports car racing um, at one point in the broadcast they showed a couple highlights of him racing um there's a couple comedic highlights as well as a couple highlights of him actually racing and they mentioned that he raced in it for probably anywhere from three to six years and he was competitive in class so you know I guess he learned something new every day like I knew he would I knew he'd attempted the race but I didn't know that he had such an he he came back for multiple years I thought it was just a one-off thing you know like a lot of the cup drivers have done yeah, I mean, cup drivers like Jamie McMurray and Jimmy Johnson, he's done it multiple times now. I think this was, what, his third time? Um, yeah, he's And then, been of course, this time. year with Chase Elliott, and Chase Elliott and Austin Dillon did it this year. Um, so, I did not know that Kyle Petty raced in the Rolex. That's really interesting to me. He doesn't seem like the road racing kind of guy. He was kind of, you know, somewhat lackluster NASCAR driver over over the years. I know I've I've listened to him. Um, talk on coffee with Kyle and everything and he's got a great story but he's not he someone that I would see venturing out of stock car racing no and I'll give him credit for someone who originally you know like he said he mentioned you know like wanting to be a country singer when he grew up and you know kind of growing up around racing and not really not really having the same enthusiasm for it because he grew up around it 
for someone who grew up in that situation, he did pretty well for himself as a driver to win, you know, to have that little period where he was a regular contender and then, you know, running in his own stuff for a long period of time. And then even, like I said, doing the Rolex, you know, having a long commentating career, it was pretty surprising. I didn't, it really caught me off guard seeing him in the broadcast through. And especially when we started talking, I'm like, wow, this is, I did not expect Kyle Petty to, to love road racing. Yeah, that's incredible. When we look at, at stuff like this, I think the Rolex is something that we can see that I think is something cool to see NASCAR drivers kind of stepping into other sports, especially one as international as endurance racing. Um, you can say the same thing for the Chili Bowl, uh, even the, the couple Indy 500s where we've seen guys do the double. Yeah. Uh, how do you think that helps our sport in general and motorsports as a whole? I think, first of all, at least just from a NASCAR perspective, it boosts credibility to see drivers take interest in it and do the best they can to learn and take in something new. Because I feel like, first of all, you know, nobody expects NASCAR stereotypically to, to be this way. Like, you know, ah, another left turn, you know, we just, we're in our own little bubble, you know, we're different than every other motorsport, but it's it's one thing when the drivers themselves see an interest in the race and they're like, you know what, I really want to do this because they see people from everywhere coming in, whether it's, you know, Porsche Cup or Supercars, F1, WEC, pretty much everywhere. IndyCar has a lot of representation in the race as well. And, and you couple that with gentleman drivers from like LMP3 or whatever, it's like, there's such a melting pot of drivers that are coming in. And I think it's only going to help if you're having that many drivers from this many places. It's like, I don't see how that's a bad thing. Like all motorsports needs unity in some, some sense, because, you know, fighting against one another is not going to help anything. Definitely. I think some fans kind of sit from a perspective that it might um, dampen endurance racing because come coming over here to play, I guess, is kind of a mentality that some fans have. But I can't really agree with that. Uh, I'm going to have to take the same take that mm -hmm. you do. It's kind of taking perspectives from uh, a different discipline of racing, but also doing it alongside former F1 drivers, former Indy 500 champions, former IndyCar champions, um, even guys that have dominated in endurance racing, whether it be here in the States with IMSA or, you know, ELMS or WEC. Um, and it's really good to see that from a perspective of a NASCAR fan, because I like being able to know that my guys can compete with world-class talent. And it kind of, for me, validates guys like Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott, who we know are really great drivers. Um, but they're competing with people who have done far more, I guess, well-received things uh, throughout motorsports world. Like, I mean, they were racing with Pablo Montoya. I think it's a huge, it's a huge shout for someone like Jimmy Johnson to run well in the DPI. I mean, obviously he's had prototype experience before when it was Grand Am, but even the announcers talked about that the cars are 10 seconds a lap quicker than they were when he was running there and the field is a lot more competitive. So for him to do that at age 45 is a big, 
big compliment about his talent, especially when the guys that he's racing against all come from open wheel. They all come from karting. They all come from a background that feeds into that type of car. Whereas, you know, Jimmy Johnson grew up racing dirt bikes and he still held his own against guys who've grown up groomed for cars that are similar to what DPIs are. Oh, and he did that in stock cars as well. So I don't know that we would expect anything else from seven time. But, you know, it's cool, though, because we got to see Kevin Magnuson come over and almost dominate a race before that tire blowout with about 10 minutes to go. That was an awesome race. I woke up uh, from the car. We slept in, in the car from the infield. Uh, we were looking at turn three when we got out from our car uh, in the morning. Uh, myself and my fiance that is and we got to the stands right after sunrise we didn't quite make it up there before that uh, and we just sat in the stands all day on Sunday um, and you could see the whole track so it was really cool to see the different battles and that battle and DPI when when the 01 was coming for the lead on on the 10 car and they did pit strategy stuff right there in the final 30 minutes it was incredible um, but back to my point, seeing someone like Kevin Magnuson come in and knowing that Jimmy Johnson is going to race against his Formula One teammate uh, on the road and street courses in IndyCar sheds light on just how good Jimmy's going to have to be and how good he is going to be moving on over to those IndyCar races this year. Yeah, I think that it speaks to talent regardless of result. I don't think it's fair to say to expect a guy to go into IndyCar in their first year and start winning off the bat. I think even if he's not necessarily on the pace or whether or not he's contending for the lead or not, it's just a, it just illustrates talent to be able to even race in the series, let alone compete for top 15s or top 10s or whatever. And I think that as time goes on, he'll improve. But just to be where he's at, just to be – in the field for IndyCar says something that not many drivers have. Yeah, and uh, IndyCar is kind of seeing a resurgence this year, especially um, we know Jimmy Johnson's a world-class talent, but they're also gaining Roman Grosjean, and they're also gaining Scotty McLaughlin from the Supercar Series down in Australia. And I don't know if you've ever watched him race, but he is a I freak. pay attention to that series – Yes, he is insane. Uh, if you want to check out some really cool passing, uh, I know at the Gold Coast when he went door-to-door -door with another driver uh, into one of those 90-degrees uh, turns on a street course and passed him. It's crazy. Um, I don't quite remember who the other driver he was driving against was. But the man can wheel the absolute hell out of a supercar. Um, I'm sure he's going to be very good in a, I believe he's driving for Penske. Yeah, um, full-time. IndyCar. I'm really excited for that. I just I just hope that um, I'd like to see him get an Xfinity, Xfinity road course start or something like that with Penske because I know that he's mentioned numerous times that he has envisioned himself in NASCAR at some point in his life. And I think that with him driving the uh, 22 car, in a show run at server's paradise. I think like seeing that it's like, I think this guy to be a natural on a road course in a stock car. So I'm hoping that if he does well yeah. enough in IndyCar, that they can reward him with a couple of 
road course starts in NASCAR. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he will. Um, and I would like to see him do something like Austin Cedric's doing this year, next year when we have the next-gen car, because they're basically based around supercars. Yeah. They're not going to have quite near the amount of horsepower. Yeah, the only thing that we're missing is the horsepower. Yeah. Um, of course, we don't really need to get into that yet. Um, mm-hmm. But that's going to be something interesting. Um, but back to the Rolex. Um, yeah. I know we kind of got sidetracked there. Yeah, I can um, uh, don't need to um... – ask you about your track experience i know that that was a big uh, talking point in the weeks leading up to this um you went to the race i went to the roar before the 24 testing but obviously that doesn't compare to being at the track during the race so i'd like to see um you know how did you like it for example i know it's your first time for the rolex and i've never been i want to go so i just want to know what was it that you liked about the event well i'm sure um, I don't know if they let you guys in the stands for the roar or not, but uh, I'm sure since you have experience at the track, you know that just about anywhere at Daytona, you can sit and see the whole racetrack, which was something I didn't realize was possible um, going into it because I've been to Talladega since I want to say 2011 for at least the fall race every year. And even sitting in the, the tower where we usually sit, uh, you've got stuff in the way and you can't really see the back straightaway except for maybe little colored dots uh, going down um, this this back straightaway because you can only see the roofs of the cars. Well, at Daytona, especially if you set, you know, in the center between the entry and the exit of the infield road course, you could see NASCAR turn three, turn four, a little bit of the roof of the cars in the bus stop all the way down the back straightaway turns one and two for NASCAR at the infield road course. And then uh, the angles that we tried to set it were um, looking straight down pit road. So uh, we moved throughout the night uh, to see pit stops um, from the trial, which was really cool. Um, and we, and we watched the fireworks from up there as well. Um, but I guess Overall, it was probably the best experience that I've ever had at the racetrack. Um, I guess because there was no pressure to watch the entire race, it helped um, me want to get out of a seat and go explore not only the racetrack, but the stuff that they had to do at the racetrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had the midway. It was limited to fans uh, because of COVID, which kind of sucked. But, you know, that is what it is. But I would recommend anybody go to the Rolex. I mean, there there couldn't be a better race to go to. It's a road course race. It's a multi-class race. It's a 24-hour race. And I'm sure usually it's a party. Not really this year, like I said, because of COVID stuff. They did have uh, some infield concerts going on. Um, but that was in the fan zone. It was kind of limited. There was about 40 people there when we went and stopped by. Um, in the little area right in front of the stage. Um, and I think they had that, that place limited capacity. So there might've been five or 600 fans led into that space, but we went there at almost midnight. So there was, there was no one there cause they'd all turned in for bed. Um, overall, absolutely great, uh, fan experience. The facilities there are way better than I imagined they would be. I knew that Daytona rising had came and, and, and gone and that it would be a prettier track than I'd ever experienced, but 
the fact that everywhere was accessible. You could go to all four levels of the grandstands. They had terraces at every level with all kinds of different things, differently themed based on which tower you were in. Uh, where we went through the Chevrolet um, Tower and the uh, Advent Health Tower. Advent Health basically had a, a grassy lounge on the fourth level, and then there was show cars um, from like Chevy Malibus all the way up to Corvettes and Camaros um, that you could see on the different levels, and that was really cool. Um, going around the infield was really awesome at night. Um, seeing cars flying through the kink at night was something that was incredible um and then being able to go easily from the infield to the towers by tram was something that was really efficient i mean it, it was like an eight minute ride from the back of uh the back side of turn one nascar turn one to the direct center of the track on a tram and there was never any lines except for right before the race and right after the race so that was really cool yeah it's definitely um Everyone who goes to Daytona for the first time mentions that it's like a paradise for them. And obviously for me, it's like living in paradise as a race fan, knowing that that's, you know, two and a half hours away from my hometown and only, you know, 45 minutes away from where I am on campus. It's like, it doesn't get any better than this. Oh, no, I also being in Florida, you probably – have it nicely because you can go to so many different events. I don't know if you've taken any um, advantage of that, but you've got Sebring down the road too. You've got East Bay Raceway and Volusia for the dirt side. And I know you've not really gotten into dirt racing through our previous conversations, but I, I think you should. Uh, it's very fun. I don't know if you've been to New Smyrna or not, but you're in a prime location for racing, buddy. Absolutely. And um, with that, I was going to ask if any, you know, I don't think this is going to, affect you but were there any regrets or cons that you had from your rolex 24 i mean if any like i said i doubt there's going to be uh, a long list for that so uh... i guess the um the cons of my experience at the rolex would just be having to do it during the COVID era um not that, you know, wearing a mask was hard to do, but, you know, just not being able to fully enjoy it because I knew there was more that I was missing was really the only con that I can think of. Um, the other con that is, is blaringly obvious is walking, but, you know, I think we put down 15 miles of walking, but, hey, I knew that was what I was getting into when I went down there. Um, my regrets was basically just... Poor planning. Um, it was a, a surprise kind of gift from my fiance. She told me Thursday night I got tickets to go to the Rolex. So when do you want to leave? And then so we we slept in the car. We didn't get a hotel, um, which I would do again because honestly, I got some really good sleep after being that tired from walking. Um, I forgot to bring ear protection, so I had to buy that uh and then not having a scanner made it really hard for me who is infatuated with racing to really see what was going on on the racetrack and what was happening you know around the facility when i wasn't directly under the pa system and that was probably my biggest regret um 
So what I do differently and what I recommend for people to do when they do go down there to the Rolex is bring some ear protection, get you a scanner so that you can listen to it. Um, whether you want to listen to the Radio Le Mans or the, um, the teams themselves, um, something that I'm, I think I would recommend everyone to do is buy their own scanner and take it to all the professional motorsports that you go to uh, because having listened to scanners previously at NASCAR events, uh, it's really interesting. So I'm sure it would have been fun to do the same on this international scale uh, of a race because there would have been so many different voices, different accents even, uh, that I uh, never heard before. And then stuff that I'd never heard before in terms of racing because I'm mostly a stock car and dirt racing guy. Uh, when they're talking about different setups and stuff like that, um, that, that would have been cool to hear as well. So get yourself a scanner if you're going to go to one of these races. Take some sunscreen and uh, be prepared to walk. Definitely. No, they're all great tips from my experience, and I agree with every single one of them. So um, with that being said, are you ready to uh, preview 2021? Yeah, I uh, think we can go ahead and do a 2021 preview. Um, we're going to focus on NASCAR here. So um, we'll get into IndyCar and F1 as those seasons kind of roll towards us. But right now, let's focus on NASCAR 2021. Um, so let's start with some things that I know you and I are kind of excited about. Um, schedule changes is the big one. I mean, that's the biggest thing going into 2021. Of course, that starts directly with Speed Weeks. We're going to have the Bush Clash on the road course. Um, so what do you think about that? Well, I mean, like you said, there are a lot of great schedule changes that I'm very happy to see. Um, I guess the Clash on the road course is a mixed bag just because we've never seen it on a road course before. And we don't know if they're going to treat it like a test session or they're just going to, you know, they're just going to send it, you know. So I guess the one that I would really, really be most excited for would be Road America, just because I love that track in general. I've heard the scenery around there is great. It's going to be July 4th weekend. And as somebody looking for a new 4th of July tradition, now that Daytona's in August, um, I might be headed up there in 2022, depending on how the fans um, – review road america for cup this year because i think it's a prime opportunity to enjoy nature you know there's a lake right next to the track hiking trails you can do a lot of things and then um watch a race at the same time so it's it's kind of a win-win for somebody who likes that kind of stuff so i think road america is definitely one for me yeah i'm gonna have to say uh as far as all road courses, I'm excited. I know some people, that's not NASCAR, is their go-to excuse for <laughs> for the fact that we're going to have six, now seven, road courses this year. But um, I'm excited. I love road course racing. I hate the fact that we have stages on road courses. Yeah. And I'm really excited that we have all these road courses, but I don't think they're going to live up to the standards that – probably you and I and other fans are going to hold them to because the stages are going to kind of backpedal the sequence of pit stops and stuff like that that we all look forward to mm -hmm. in road racing. Yeah, exactly. I agree full. I agree fully. Um, I think that ever since 2012 Watkins Glen, I guess that's sort of like the tipping point, at least in my time as a fan, 
I remember the road courses always, I always looked forward to them as a kid just because I liked IndyCar and F1 and all that kind of stuff. But it seemed like most of the fans were kind of lukewarm on them. They were mixed up until that finish happened. And then everyone was losing their mind. They're like, you know what? I love road courses now. I don't care about the past. I want them now. And I think that fans have sort of expected that kind of racing at every road course, which I don't think is necessarily fair because you're not going to get 2012 Watkins Glen everywhere you go. But I'm definitely glad that the fans are excited for it now. It's a lot better than it used to be. So. No, uh, not that the road course races are lacking with, you know, my previous statement. But um, I guess NASCAR is kind of modernizing. They did that with the uh, mile-and-a-half cookie cutters that everyone's complaining about now in the early 2000s. But now we're we're kind of going to a road course kind of vibe that NASCAR is going to have, I guess, for the near future. And with the new cars, I think it's going to explode in popularity and and that might be just me being a passionate fan but i think it could really bring in a more international audience because we're going to be racing their kind of cars on their kind of tracks um but also um that just means that we're losing some races so how do you feel in that regard about chicago and kentucky oh boy um first off I might as well get the good out of the way first. Um, I I don't want to lose Chicago Land just based on the fact that it was a really, really good track in the last few years because of the pavement being worn out and leading to multiple grooves. Um, the summer weather, I think, also contributed to having great races because it was hot and slick, and it encouraged drivers to move around and search for grip as opposed to saying, you know, being – 60 degrees in the middle of the night. Um, there's a lot of things that made Chicago a good track for modern cars. And even in this rules package, which it's hard to make a good one and a half mile race in this rules package, they still had a good one with Bowman and Larson. So I think that speaks to how good of a track Chicago was. And I don't, I don't want to see it leave personally. Yeah. I'm same there with you. Um, Chicago was a great racetrack, uh, much in the same vein that I hold it as Auto Club and Atlanta. Those tracks all had very rough pavement, provided very good track, uh, on-track action. And, you know, I mean, it is what it is that um, we had to lose it, but I really wish we didn't have to. Uh, I can understand that they're probably going to bulldoze it and put an Amazon factory there or something like that. Uh, I mean, that's the current rumor that I've heard. Don't know if there's any truth to that or not. Um, but when it comes to Kentucky, I mean, are we really losing anything other than some really lucky finishes yeah. that we got? Personally, I'm I, I'm indifferent to this. You know, I don't want to, you know, insult the people that go to races there. You know, I know what it's like to have a race in my in near my hometown. So I don't want to just say, hey, I'm glad Kentucky's gone because – you know, I'm sure the people that live there are definitely not in the same boat, but in the same vein, I guess I have to be honest and say that the repave that they did there completely destroyed any hope that they had of becoming a good mile and a half for racing in the next few years because 
prior to that, it was a really rough track. It was flat. You know, they always hyped up the bumps. And I feel like had they left it that way, it probably had the potential to become a lot better. Like, say, uh, Chicago Land, for example. But the repave, I think, that was like the nail in the coffin for me, at least. Yeah, so uh, the same sort of thing for me happened with Texas. I mean, they absolutely ruined one of the best mountains yeah, we have. That, that track used to be absolutely crazy, and especially for IndyCar. And now it's just kind of a joke on the schedule of both IndyCar and NASCAR for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's going to get the All-Star. So that would be one of those things I'm not really looking forward to in 2021. Definitely. And that being said, I guess um... – what else will we be looking forward to in 2021? I know there's a lot of new fields in terms of – or not new fields, new teams, my bad, like 2311, Trackhouse, um, and they're really contributing to competitive fields in every series, you know. There's over 10 cars that are realistic title contenders in every one of the three series, which is something we haven't been able to say in recent years. Oh, yeah. I, I can definitely say that I'm excited for uh, the truck series this year. There's a lot of people that are in there. John Hernemachek going down. I think he's probably got a good chance to clean, you know, clean the house with with everybody. But he's also got a boatload of competition coming to him. Um so what what are you looking forward to with the trucks this year then Ooh. if we know we've got such a bountiful field? Let's see. You know, I would probably lean towards um I'd probably lean towards seeing the manufacturer changes for some of these teams and the driver changes like um I'm looking forward to seeing what Brent Moffitt can do at Nice because we saw Chastain get into the final four with those with those trucks. Um Obviously, they had a little more support from alliances back then than they do now. But I think that Moffitt's a, a good enough driver to where he can still contend for top tens and top fives and occasional wins in Nice equipment. So I think he's a big variable. I think that I'm excited to see second-year drivers like Zane Smith. He was great in his first year, so I think I don't think he has anywhere to go but up. And then I'm really excited for KBM because I think that this is a complete identity change. You know, you're used to seeing them put young kids in the trucks and chew them up and spit them out. But now it's like you've got one younger kid and you've got one, I guess we could consider him a veteran by truck standards because he's ran trucks for many years. He's got an Xfinity win and he's got a year in Cup. So it's, it's going to be different than what KBM's normally used to, so I'm excited to see that. Yeah. And just from a fan's perspective, I'm going to be honest here, I don't like John Hunter Nemechek. I haven't liked him since the Cole Custer incident uh, in Canada. Uh, but I respect I respect the hell out of him. He is a damn good driver, and he got to the Cup Series basically on his own accord uh, through talent and not daddy's money because despite Joe Nemechek being – a uh, a cup driver for quite some time. I I I think that he got there based on talent, not the pocketbook of Joe Nemechek. Yeah, so he's gonna have a KBM truck under him, and that is scary to me as someone driving elsewhere in that field. Yeah. And 
Yeah, that's without a doubt. Yeah, there's nothing really much else to say to, about that. Yep, he's going to be what I look as the championship favorite going into 2021. That's that's definitely a great pick. Um, I'm kind of split between two or three guys, but I would not be surprised if he wins. Yeah, well, I mean, turning over a leaf to the Xfinity series, though, uh, I believe there was a tweet by Tommy Joe Martins that said. We are looking at between 42 and 46 full-time entries for Xfinity. Now, I don't know how that's going to work out yeah. because of the way that NASCAR is limiting uh, everyone to 40 or 36 spots, depending on the race weekend. Um, but I am looking forward to how all of that goes down. Um, what do you have to say about probably the strongest field in NASCAR right now being the Xfinity Series? I got a lot to say about it. I think that despite typically being a top heavy series, you know, with guys like Cindric, Gregson, um, even Haley, some of the, some of the usual heavy hitters in the series, I think at least now it's sort of like F1 in the sense that you've got a few guys that are going to be shoe in title contenders. You already know that before the year starts. But then behind that, the midfield is just nuts. I mean, you got like Ryan Sieg with Ford support now, Jeremy Clements, um, Tommy Joe Martins, all those guys that they're all equal to one another in terms of equipment and they're all really talented. So I'm very curious to see who I guess the best of the rest would be because I know that the battle for the title is going to be great. But on top of that, there's a lot going on compared to previous years as to like who's going to get in through the playoffs and who's going to score upset wins. And it, it, there's a lot more optimism, I think, in a series like that because a lot of those drivers, like say Ryan C, they're there, they're there based on their talent and they have a place to, to prove it against other drivers that are in the same boat. Oh, yeah, and some other people, you know, like Jeremy Clements that we, we see every year. We saw him win at Road America one year. Um, he's somebody that may have gotten bumped out um, based on how many people are coming into the series. I mean, we're we're seeing uh, a full-time A.J. Allmendinger, which should be absolutely crazy yeah. against a full-time Austin Sindrick because essentially – to me, their skill sets are somewhat the same, but Austin Cindric's kind of been groomed to be a stock car driver, where AJ's mm-hmm. is a veteran racer, not necessarily a stock car driver. So I think those two are going to be definitely two of the four that are going for the championship at Phoenix. Um, but another uh, interesting note of one of the full-time teams that I'm looking forward to seeing is Jordan Anderson. Uh, I think we've all been following him through uh, the truck series and stuff like that. Um, I have a somewhat personal connection with him uh, through my dad who does some business with Jordan and I can't wait to see that 31 car on the track. I'm so excited for it. I would agree. I think that it's interesting. I remember seeing him on social media like three or four years ago with just a I mean, he just had a a dually pickup truck in a trailer, a fifth wheel trailer in one truck. And now it's like, you know, he's got his own shop. He's got his own hauler. He's got his own Xfinity program. It's like, it's, he's literally playing a NASCAR video game career mode in real life. It's insane to watch. Oh yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, and uh, I think I've seen him talking about that in particular in interviews um, this past year, which I think is hilarious because I think he was kind of leading us on to that one happening, that he was going to move up eventually uh, because he said that I want to say it was NASCAR Thunder 2004 taught him that he had to manage uh, crew members and stuff like that. Uh, but it's really cool to see guys like him living that kind of dream that we all had when we were kids playing those games. Um, but we've also got new teams in the Cup Series, and I want to hear what you have to say because I have some strong opinions about oh, yeah. a couple of them. Um, we've got we've got teams like um, Spire becoming full time finally, which I don't know um, their Dale Junior download episode. They kind of explained their plans and they explained that they were waiting for next gen, and they've got a good driver in Corey LaJoy coming, so that's pretty cool. Um, so what do you think about Spire? This year, oh, man, this is a tough one. I think that I got to be careful to not hype them up, but I don't want to down on them too much at the same time. So I'm gonna say that Corey LaJoy will probably see a little an uptick in improvement from where he was at Go Fast, just based on the fact that he'll have some sort of better support than Go Fast did. Do I expect leaps and bounds in the first year? Absolutely not, but I think that. It's different in the sense that he won't be driving a 15-year-old chassis anymore. Well, no one's going to be driving a 15-year-old chassis in 2022. Yeah. So I'm sure that's going to help these new these new teams out as well. One thing that I can say about Corey LaJoey is that he's going to have, hopefully, a better personal experience at his new team with Spire. Those guys seem like really good guys. Uh, just from the small amount of interviews and things that I've I've seen, I know they are basically like a driver management uh, firm as well. So they know how to treat people. Otherwise, they would have not lasted in the business. So hopefully they'll treat Corey LaJoy right, and we will see a happy Corey LaJoy on track, unlike the last part of the season that we saw in 2020. Um, but we've got two really out-of-the-blue teams that came on um i think the first one that i want to go over is the one that our favorite driver decided he was going to start with uh his good friend michael jordan uh and that's 2311 or i mean what are your expectations i'm excited about him, yeah but what are your expectations Man. all right well like i said i'm very excited to see this team i'm even more excited to get the merchandise obviously so I just, um, just ordered a shirt of theirs, and I'll be getting it the day I go into Daytona. So that'll be nice. And on top of that, I'm excited for their performance on track, not just their attention they're going to get through media. So I'll be honest, I think that in their first year, I think they'll be – they'll hopefully at the best be like a bubble playoff contender, that, you know, around, say, Richard Childress or Matt Benedetto or um, – Chris Buescher around that performance level, which I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of from your first year. Cause you know, they, they came up with this idea in the late summer, early fall. So for them to be a fringe playoff contender would be massive, I think. And I think people have to be careful that with their expectations, I, they might say, Oh, you know, they're not doing good, but you know, Top 20 in your first year, that's nothing to be – that's nothing to hang your head over. I mean, you got to start somewhere. 
Yeah, no doubt. And uh, you and I, we talked about that before, and you you kind of urged me to shield my expectations. But I think 2311 is going to be a successful team this year. If they can put up uh, similar numbers to guys like Jimmy Johnson did last year, um, with the fact that Bubba Wallace is extremely good at speedway races, um like we saw at both Daytona races this past year, and he's pretty good on short tracks. I think he can sneak himself in on points, and I think mm -hmm. it's not too far out of the blue to see them, you know, in the playoffs with a win at one of those tracks. Yeah, um, I, I, I could mean, easily. He's got a few chances. I think that it's going to be an adjustment, I think, for everyone on the team because Mike Wheeler's coming back from crew chiefing after a year off, so I'm very curious to see how that goes and whether or not he's going to be able to sort of to replicate what he did at Levine with the Benedetto and to build off and improve off of the, the struggles that they had with Hamlin in 2018. I think it's going to be huge for him. If he can consistently contend for wins in the next few years with Bubba Wallace, that's going to, that's going to right a lot of the wrongs that, you know, many fans had about him as well as Bubba Wallace, he's going to learn too. I think that as the cars get better, I think his driving is going to take a noticeable change because you see it, you know, you remember the Bristol race where he took the lead in the 43, you know, he was driving the wheels off that car and same goes for all the super speedway races. He is, I mean, he is a hundred percent driving the wheels off the car. And I think that as his cars get quicker, he's going to learn that he doesn't have to do that as much with the car that's capable of winning. And I think that it's going to take a little bit of a learning curve, like say, uh, like say Ryan Blaney's going through over the past couple of years where, you know, he could drive a car to its absolute limit, but you know, when it comes to winning races that they're, they're still, they're still missing a little something that the veteran drivers all have, but it comes with experience. I think that, the Bubba Wallace that you're going to see a couple years from now is going to be a lot more methodical, aggressive Bubba Wallace you see now. Yeah, and I can't wait to see that because mm -hmm. he's got the talent, but he's got a little bit too much ferocity. I could also, yeah. I could almost equate him to a younger version of Kevin Harvick. I'm not saying that he'll be on the same level that Kevin Harvick is now anytime in his career because that's something that he's going to have to do himself. Um, but he needs to mellow out just a little bit. Going right. on record saying that he's going to win two races this year or be disappointed kind of has me scared I mean, he's, he's going to be overdriving the car. You know, he's not shy. He's very uh, intense in everything he does. That's, you know, I don't want him to mellow out too much. I mean, I think it's fun to have a driver like that who's, you know, he's always chippy in interviews and he's always, you know, he's he pretty much wears his heart on the sleeve and you can see it in everything he does. But obviously my hope for him is that he can mellow out enough as a driver to, to win races driving with his head and not his heart. And then keep that same, uh, keep that same unique personality that he has now, because I don't, I don't want to see that leave with um, Lee. I don't want to see that completely change. Because I really enjoy having him around. He's a fun guy. I mean, I don't want it to. I don't want him to completely mellow out to the point where he's not the the bubble we normally think of.
Yeah, well, the thing that we have with Bubba is, you know, he is your atypical driver just based on his skin color. And so he's going to ruffle feathers in the fans. Mm -hmm. Even if he's there, not to mention that he's probably going to be doing good that he's now that he's in a, a good car. Um, so for me, if he can tone down the expectations for himself just a little bit to where they're slightly above what I would call realistic rather than way above what I would call realistic, I think that would help him because I think Bubba is the kind of person that could possibly be at a detriment to setting unreachable goals. Um, we've seen the way that he's reacted some things, you know, winning uh, one of the stages in the All-Star Open to get in. I mean, we, we see just how much racing weighs on him. And coming from being a Denny Hamlin fan and seeing how his demeanor changed over time because of the way that he was affected by his racing and his mental health, I don't want Bubba to kind of end up in the same place that Denny Hamlin was between the end of 2010 to, right. I guess, around 2014. I remember. So, I remember. you know, I think – So I, I have – yeah, go ahead. I guess I was like I was going to add on to that with Dan Hamlin. He talked about so much about, you know, with 2010 and 2015, all the years where he came back, he talked about having fun again and enjoying the sport. And when he went from 2010 to 2011, almost all of it was, you know, I have to get a certain result. Every week he would pencil in, I need to finish in this place. This needs to happen. You know, we need to perform at this level. And once things didn't go to plan as they always do in racing, I think then it sort of, it sort of wore on the whole team where they're like, you know what, you know, we don't, something's not clicking here. We're not having fun. We're not performing the way we need to perform. And then I think he went too far in the opposite direction with Mike Wheeler. They were a little bit, I'm not going to call him lazy. No one's lazy at their level, but they were a little bit, um, I think they were a little complacent in 2018 because Hamlin himself said it was a wake-up year that kind of hints toward that. And I think that you're going to have to – you don't want to set so much expectations for yourself that you die trying to achieve them. You know, you want to yeah, you want to still enjoy what you're doing and, you know, keep unnecessary stress out, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's what I'm afraid of Bubba for this year and and moving forward a little bit because I know they're not really going to be as competitive as they want to be until next year with the new car. Um, and I think they know that going into into things, but that's where Mike Wheeler and Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan and Freddie Kraft are going to have to sit down with Bubba and say, hey, man, we're doing as good as we can. Yeah, so don't you know, get too it's down. not that and... bad. Like, you know, you don't, you know, it's not, it's not your fault. It's not, it's not anything to be embarrassed about. It's just a normal, that's just how a team goes. You know, you're not going to, you're not instantly going to start contending for wins unless something, unless there's some sort of miracle. But, you know, I, I guess it's a, it's a thin line. I'm, I have no problem with people setting high goals for themselves, but I guess for my personality, I wouldn't necessarily do it because I'm a little bit, a little bit more reserved. If it makes sense. Oh no, I think I feel you on that one too. Um, 
setting slightly more than realistic goals is kind of where I would be if I was I was Bubba. I would expect to win at a speedway race at most if I'm Bubba Wallace next year. Um, but moving from one of the new cup teams to another, um, we've had probably, what, about six of the coolest paint schemes we've seen in a while come out from this new team uh, with Justin Marks and Mr. Worldwide himself. Uh, shame that they don't call it 305 Racing, but Track House. <laughs> what are you thinking about this just off the wall, nobody knew what was coming announcement of Justin Marks partnering with Pitbull and driver Daniel Suarez. I'm excited for this. I think it's one of the teams where it's like, you know, the expectations for them are so low that you're only going to get, you're, they're only going to exceed expectations. And now that you've got everyone on board, it's like, I'm, I'm excited. I think that that's one of those buy low, sell high type teams. And I think number one, the paint schemes are amazing. So I'm really looking forward to seeing those on a track and not just in a render. And I like Justin Marks, especially because he's a very good businessman. And I don't think a lot of people appreciate that enough to where, you know, he's, he's in, on the board for many companies he started GoPro yeah, and Motorplex, think... and it's like there's there's a lot of things that he does that are very good for racing, and I don't think it's just going to stop with this. Oh, no, and um, I think you've got a little bit more experience with his companies than I do, uh, being that you're kind of seasoned on the GoPro Motorplex. So um, did you see the interview with him where he was talking about potentially moving out of Charlotte and putting his race shop with the new car in a downtown area outside of ooh, Charlotte. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I did not see that. That is definitely news to me. Um, if they can succeed, then all the power to them. I mean, you saw furniture row succeed in a very odd location, but I guess it's really, it's really a matter of what they're comfortable with. If they're comfortable going out of their way to drive and, you know, get parts from somewhere else and have things shipped and vice versa, then, then it's their discretion. But I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a race team outside the Charlotte area. Yeah. I think that's kind of what he's wanting to do is kind of revolutionize what NASCAR is because going into yeah. the next gen, he thinks that the, uh, whole customer team thing is possible because you're going to have so many parts that are manufactured by businesses uh, and manufacturers that's rather than very, yeah, very you know, the race team. Yeah. And that's something that we can talk about later on in this year as we get closer to that next gen car. But I mean, obviously we've got plenty to be excited about in 2021. Uh, we've gone over some things, but Let's now focus on some things that we're not really looking forward to. Uh, we talked about the road course at the Clash. I didn't really voice my opinions on it, though. I'm not looking forward to it, honestly. Um, so it's going to be at night. Ooh, that's really cool. Um, I think it being Tuesday night is a phenomenal idea. However, racing on the road course with a limited group of people um, is going to be something that doesn't interest me at all, especially if they put stages into it. Um, if they were going to try something where it was a, I don't know, maybe 40 lap race and you had to do one or two compulsory pit stops where you had to do one where you refueled and one where you 
uh, pitted for tires. That'd be something cool, uh, but you couldn't do both at the same time when you pitted. Maybe that would be interesting. There's got to be something, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing interesting to me about it. I would much rather have seen them, especially after the announcement that the Daytona Road Course would be the second race of the um, season over Auto Club, that we just ran it on the oval. I mean, who cares if we waste another Gen 6 card? They're going to be obsolete next year anyways. Yeah, I'm excited for Trackhouse. And not Trackhouse, but uh, sorry, I was... I keep thinking about Trackhouse, now you got me excited about it, so I I blame you on that, but with the road course, there's got to be some sort of, like, gimmick. I mean, I'm a purist myself, so I don't like using that term. So, I don't know how it's going to go. I think that it's going to be an absolute runaway in terms of the guys at the front and... Unless there's like a massive turn one shake up on a restart, I don't see it being any different than it was in the summer. And people point to, oh, the low downforce package and, oh, there's more horsepower. But, you know, I don't think people from a NASCAR only background realize Daytona road course racing. It's always going to be spread out. It's just the nature of that racetrack. And, you know, you're coming, there's guys that are still navigating the infield portion by the time guys that are already out on the oval going wide open and having one really slow section with the other three fourths of the track being a very high speed section, they're going to separate. It's just natural. And I don't think any horsepower change is going to affect that unless it's like a spark Miata. But I think that it's, I think fans really need to understand that it that's part of how the track races and that's not, that's not a problem stemming from the cars. I think that they just need to understand that before they go out and criticize everything. Yeah. Well, I think maybe the only fix I could, I could say is either, like I said, a running on the oval or maybe running on the motorcycle course, because it, it takes out a chunk of lap time, but Mm -hmm. even then you still have the same problem of those guys are going to be doing 180 into the close chicanes. Um, I mean, yeah, it just gets too spread out, and I'm not really looking forward to it. But it, like you said, you need a gimmick. It's an exhibition race. What is the point of watching unless there's something crazy going on? It's kind of like all-star qualifying where you don't have speed limits and you have to pit. That's one of uh, my We need yeah. that back. Yeah, I hope they're going to have that at Texas this year. Um, that's another thing that I'm not looking forward to is oh, the Texas yeah. all-star race. I thought the Bristol All-Star race didn't exceed expectations. It kind of didn't work with expectations, but um, we're talking, you know, a race now. I don't think anyone has good expectations for this All-Star race. So if it, if it just, if it's something good about it, I would be amazingly surprised. So I, I have that low expectations for the Texas All-Star race. The good thing about it is that they traded one of Texas's uh, races for the All-Star, and that's a race that doesn't even matter, uh, really, in, in the last couple of years anyways, uh, for a race at Circuit of the Americas. So I think it was a net gain for fans, a net loss for the sport as far as the uh, All-Star race. Um, what I mean, what is something that you're not looking forward to that we haven't really discussed um, because I know there's a couple points that we oh, want to go yeah. off of that we both hate. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say it. Um, 
this is not just my bias talking. This is just my nostalgia talking. Um, I'm going to miss the Brickyard 400 on the oval. I do not care how much the new fans say that, oh, the road course is more entertaining and yay. But yeah, that's what the other road courses are for. You know, I want a crown jewel race. Uh, if the drivers still care about it, then I think that so it's our responsibility as fans to still care about it. You know, if guys like Hamlin or Harvick or anyone else talk about the Brickyard 400 as something that's equal to them as a championship, then I don't see how the fans could completely shun this event just because it's not great racing. And everyone knows that the racing there is not great in a stock car, but it doesn't stop Monaco for F1, does it? You know, they have great, they have great reception for that race despite it not necessarily being the greatest on-track event, people are still excited for that. They're still excited for Monaco because it's a crown jewel race. It's that important to the drivers. So why don't our fans have the same excitement toward the Brickyard? Because it's an important event. You know, I think it's because NASCAR fans, um, they really just have to have something to complain about. And I have to say that as I kind of got a lot of complaining, yeah. complaining that I do as well. I think it's kind of like a hive mind thing that they jump on a bandwagon with after the 2008 Brickyard. Um, I love that race. It should have not went anywhere. And the person that I'm most gutted for, not even Denny Hamlin, is Chase Briscoe. That's an Indiana. Oh, that's yeah. A that's going to be rough. That, but... He got out of his car after winning that awful Xfinity race at the road course that had a great finish, which is the only reason that we're swapping in the first place. Right. Um, he was excited. He said that he he was really grateful to win an Indy, but it's nothing like winning on the oval here because that's all I've ever wanted to do. Yeah. For someone who's a Hoosier, it's not fair at all. No. And, you know, I mean, going to that track, which I've done before, is – crazy i did go for the indy 500 but i'm sure the stock car guys especially since we've been doing it for 26 years had the same sort of feeling i did when walking into that holy ground yeah i would agree i think that nascar fans in general don't appreciate the importance of indianapolis in terms of world significance for racing and they're gonna i think that they didn't like the break 400 because of the fact that it wasn't the you know beating and banging type of racing that they expect to see say in the Daytona 500 or the Southern 500 or the you know or the Coke 600 or even the Bristol Night Race is crown jewels it's like they they go to racing they expect to be constantly pleased with the entertainment and I think that's where they they go wrong they're you can't go to a, a race like that in Indy and expect just go there for great racing. You're going there for the event. And I think if more NASCAR fans would realize that and say, you know what, the racing in Indy is not great, but I still enjoy the significance and I enjoy the event, there would be a lot there'd be a lot more support for it because I think that it's just a result of short attention spans not appreciating what they had. Yeah, and I don't even think it's the fact that the racing's not great. Of course, it's going to have lulls, but every track does. I mean, even Bristol with the All-Stars race this year was not too good. Um, But, you know, 
there was always interesting stories coming out of uh, the Brickyard. Um, stuff like Paul Menard's Lone Win. Um, anytime that Jeff Gordon or uh, Tony Stewart won there was crazy because of, those guys are Indiana guys as well. Um, and, well, you know, what about those crazy finishes in, you know, what was it, 2017 and 2018? Well, 2018, I think, was probably – I didn't like the outcome, obviously, because of my driver, but I think that was genuinely the best Brickyard 400 I've ever watched, 2018. Even though it was on a Monday, I think there was a lot of great racing. There was um, low downforce, obviously, so it made for a great race. Um, there wasn't a lot of track time because of the, the weekend being a complete washout. So you had guys that you didn't expect to be good show up with winning cars and Guys like Hamlin and Boyer were very even, and they were going for the win up until the cautions came out and screwed up their strategy. But races like that show you that good racing can happen there. It's not out of the blue. It's not impossible. I mean, sure, it's less likely, but it doesn't mean the whole track is a write-off just because it can't put a good show on every single year. Yeah, well, I think the problem is is that like you said, short attention span. We're kind of in the age of instant gratification with yeah. with the internet and smartphones and all that stuff. And I know I'm a millennial at 25, but you know sometimes I feel like an old man when I'm like, "Er, give me back my tradition, give me back whatever." Yeah, I'm but 18, you know you can. Way. Yeah, the uh, the sport seems to be going in that direction, which some of us may not agree with, but I'm still going to be here. Um, but you can tell that they're stricken for entertainment more than they are real racing by oh, not only that move, but the next one, the one that we're going to talk about. And that is the one that I am so just upset about and confused. And, and I feel kind of a little bit of anger and also kind of defeated about why in the world are we putting dirt on Bristol? You know, I don't know. I think that I, I heard a rumor that the TV providers had a big say in that. I would not at all be surprised, but I just don't understand the logic behind doing this unless it's unless it's like a test run for another dirt track because it, there are dirt tracks out there that I believe could support a cup race. Yeah, we're going to one with the truck series with Yeah, and I don't even think that if it can't support a full cut field, then why don't you just take them there for the all-star race or something like that? You know, there, 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 there's better ways to test it than to just throw it straight in as a points date and then take away from a, a great track like Bristol. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if it if push comes to shove, knowing that Eddie Gosses is Eddie Gosses, I'd have rather seen Spring Bristol be canceled altogether and and just run a little race at uh, Texas for the Bristol Dirt Race being in the middle of the summer on a Saturday night as the All Star event. Um, but because it's a points paying event, I'm really angry about that uh, because there's no reason for it to be like that. Um, and then. Why even do this when next year and the next gen car is going to be near impossible to not only replicate, but even, I think, race on dirt because of the diffuser and other components that are coming in with the new car? Yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I hope it's entertaining. I don't want it to fail in that sense. I think 
if it's a madhouse, it'll still be entertaining to me. I just don't, I don't like the thought process, but I mean, if the blind squirrel finds a nut, then I'm fine with it. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to like it. I am definitely going to watch it, though, because I don't think it's going to be good, but I will say that uh, you won't be um, bored, left empty, because it's going to be pretty entertaining. Uh, but excuse, you know, my language, but a shit show oh, yeah. uh, just for the sake of entertainment uh, doesn't have me hyped as a fan. And you might ask yourselves, um, well, Alex, why do you not like this? But you don't complain about um, Knoxville when you bring it up for the trucks. Well, the trucks aren't really, I guess, the premier series. And we got off of dirt for a reason, um, in my opinion. Um, the trucks going to Eldora was something that was cool. It was kind of a novelty idea. And, of course, you're going to do it to separate them as having their own identity kind of like road course racing in xfinity the past few years up until 2021 um i would love for the triple truck challenge to to be three dirt races but you know i don't want that in my cup racing makes sense and i guess are there any more topics you'd like to talk about in terms of not enjoying or not looking forward to or do you want to roll right into the um the completely hot takes off the wall predictions that we got. I mean, the, the biggest thing, um, you know, Phoenix championship race this year, uh, wasn't really my cup of tea. It wasn't really no. a race. They, uh, they really kind of blew it for that. I mean, the truck race was exciting. The Xfinity race was exciting. I'm not excited this year for the Phoenix Cup race if it goes even half the way that Phoenix 2020 did Yeah, uh, for Cup. Yeah. I think that they went there, one, banking on the new renovation, and they went there. You know, there's no secret why they put the finish line where it is. Um, there's no secret why the dog leg is the way it is. I think they went there expecting one of those quote-unquote Game 7 moments. They expected you know, restart with two laps to go to decide the championship where everyone's, you know, five or six wide for the lead. That's exactly what they want. And I think that they didn't get what they wanted this year. And I don't think they'll get it this next year either. And I'm not sure where we're going in 2022. I'm assuming it'll be Phoenix yet again. Uh, I have, and, and you can, you can quote me on this. That way we can see about what's going on when 2023 happens, but I think they're going to go to auto club to have that game seven moment, yeah. Uh, once they turn that thing into a uh, half mile, that one is going to be interesting to me. Um, I, as much as I think the Phoenix dog leg is entertaining, I don't entertain the thought of a championship being decided by, say, a green white checker restart and the leaders going into turn one in the final four, and someone who's not even in the playoffs comes in five wide on the apron and washes up into them. It's like, that would be a complete embarrassment for the sport. Yeah. And that I think is the reason we didn't see anything crazy at the championship race, which makes me think, Hey, what were we actually missing at Homestead all those years? You know, right. um, I'd glad I I'd take know. Homestead over this. Oh yeah. Those races were phenomenal other than the 2019 race. Yeah. Um, but you know what? 
we're fans. We can only fuel conversation about stuff. We can't really fuel NASCAR to change their minds on things. So right, uh, right. Instead of being negative, let's go to some extremely unlikely predictions that we have for oh, the yeah. um, 2021 so season. Wanna... So off the wall, what is your first? I think of what you've got five that yeah, we got listed. So I'll so. go with them. Um, I'll try and get these out of the way nice and quick so that we don't that I don't you know get rambling on them. So I guess I'll kind of stay rapid fire with these. Um, I think. This one's kind of mild, but I think No Gragson, he'll be top 10 at some point during the Daytona 500. Whether it's early or late, we don't know. But knowing the way he drives, he's not going to shy away from being aggressive. Um, whether he finishes the race or not, we don't know. But I think at some point, his name is going to be in the mix, considering the fact that Brendan Gaughan was able to do more or less the same by staying out of trouble early on. So number one, no Gregson top 10 during the 500 at some point, it will happen. And second I, one. I oh, think, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that you might be right on that one. Uh, Noah Gregson, he's one of the most aggressive drivers in the Xfinity series garage. And I cannot wait to see him do somewhat well in that, in uh, that number 62 car uh, partially because I was a huge Brendan Gaughan fan and having an owner pass right before your cup debut uh, should give you a little bit of a boost in energy to go do good for, for the family of that team mm -hmm. and with that I'll go into the second one this is a little bit more um, spicy as a take I think that we're going to get repeat champions in at least two of the three national series. Um, whether it's Cup and Trucks or Cup and Xfinity or Trucks and Xfinity, we don't know, but I, I do see it happening because. Um, okay. Yep. I really. I, I might have some debate on that. Yeah, on let's that. go. I'll give you the reason, I guess. That's a, I'll okay. do the best I can. Um, even if we don't see eye to eye on this, I think that. Sheldon Creed is the biggest thing that made me want to do this because you saw how fast he was in his first year in a truck. And, you know, he he didn't make the playoffs, but he ran really, really well. He made a lot of mistakes, but he ran really well. And then the next year, the same progression went up to where he he still made some mistakes. He still wasn't perfect, but he had the speed and he won the races to get him to where he needed to be. And... It's easier, I think, to teach a fast driver how to not make mistakes than it is to teach a slow driver how to go fast. And I think if you give Sheldon Creed more time to learn how to be patient with himself, then I don't see any reason why he doesn't win even more races than he did last year. So that's one. Austin Sindrick is another one. I think that you saw how him and Briscoe pretty much just – split the earnings and the winnings for themselves last year in Xfinity. And I think that with um, with Briscoe being gone and there being a lot of uh, confusion for who who they think the second best driver is going to be in Xfinity next year, I think that gives him an opportunity to win over five races without a doubt. And with the road courses, that, that gives Cindric, I think, a leg up in the fact that 
he won that many races with Chase Briscoe being there and there being a clear contender for the title. And now when there isn't a clear contender for the title, I think that whatever uncertainty is there, he's going to take advantage of. So that's another one. Okay. Well, you didn't say anything about Cup, but I think um, mm -hmm. I think that uh, the only one that I would say has uh, a realistic chance is Chase Elliott because he's got um, – that's He's got one, yeah. basically a hold on that on the playoff. Yeah, yeah. I think Schedule he and Truex are, are 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 two or yeah. I think schedule works in, in his way. Um, I don't think. Yeah. Like I like I guess I and was. That's saying. the same for Martin Trex Jr. I think those two guys are are set up in the playoffs to me mm -hmm. for for them to get into Phoenix. Um, but I think. Always, Chase Elliott's going to edge out at uh, those flatter tracks. Yeah, um, yeah. As as far as the other two, um, like I said earlier in the show, John Hunter Nemechek is coming to clean the house out. He's going to win that championship as much as I don't like the kid. Um, and and then when it comes to Xfinity, I can see Cindric getting another one, but I don't know that. I don't know that Penske's going to. I guess have the same tenacity that they did this year um, going into it. Cause they kind of just eat into that one. And I know that might come to surprise to some fans, but I did, I just didn't, I didn't really feel a championship run from Cindric coming. It was kind of empty being in that chase Briscoe did so well. I mean, so so did Cindric, I think though, I it's going to be a bigger fight. Right. It'll be, I think, if I had to pick a, a second contender in Xfinity, I would pick Harrison Burton. But I don't know, Cindric. Even with Briscoe winning eight or nine races, whatever it was he won, Cindric had a stretch where if it wasn't for that one second place finish at Kansas, he would have had six wins in a row. And you know, take Chase Briscoe away, who knows what that? I mean, uh, it might number might just go up. And especially with the fact that he's steadily improved every year. Yeah, but if I'm Cindric, I'm I don't know that I'm 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 not focusing on Cup more, know than that he's going to have more than a, a handful of starts up there because I'm trying to get ready for 2022. Right. And I don't know. I just think that that might lead him to not be as I guess ferocious on some of the summer stretch of tracks, and I feel like him having to deal with AJ Allmendinger. Justin Allgaier hopefully has a resurgence. Um, and then guys like Daniel Hemrick and, and um, Harrison Burton. And then now you've got the, the 98 being replaced um, as well with I was Riley Herbst. Like, I don't know. That top half of the Xfinity field is more stacked with similar talents to me this year than it was last year. It kind of just felt like an Austin Cindric Briscoe show. I think right. Austin Cindric's not as good as we as we think he is. I think it'll be very interesting to see what he does next year as to like how he progresses. I think that's the big key. And I think the same with Sheldon Creed. You know, if Sheldon Creed can calm down, I think he's gonna be he's gonna be a serious problem for everybody in Last year, if if he was if he had calmed down, he probably would have dominated the season. 
you know. I think him leaving races on the table was the only thing that kept trucks being competitive with how quick he was. So, anyways. Well, it's going to be really competitive this year. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I'll go into the next one. I think we're going to have – we're going to have one or two supply or surprise plate winners. I think with Chris Busher being my 500 pick, and I, I think Eric Jones can turn heads on the plate tracks. That's another off the wall pick. I've seen his picks gain traction before on super speedways. And if you look at the years past, I think the 500 was the only one where he wasn't in contention at the end. At Talladega, he, Arguably could have won the race if he didn't uh, sort of get squeezed up into the wall by Blaney at the end because um, he had a run and he was he was almost past Blaney when that happened. And then um, Daytona, he was up front in the mix up until um, that one incident with Tyler Reddick and Kyle Busch took Jones out. And then Talladega in the fall, he was in second place at the white flag and he had a move made on De Benedetto, but the push from Busher kind of, it was kind of offset and it kind of it upset his car and put him into the wall. So he was in contention in a lot of plate yeah. races. So I would expect him to do the same. Yeah. And it's kind of fun seeing these guys emerge as plate ish racers. Um, you know, kind of like we've seen with Denny Hamlin and the, the two big Penske guys, well, really all three with Ryan Blaney included in that. Um, but I guess your surprise winners um, kind of being on the speedways lead into your next point. Uh, so I think oh, yeah. that uh, – This is going to be a good one. I think this is going to be the most accurate of my predictions. I think there's going to be a last lap crash in every super speedway race, every single one this year. I do not care – whether it's the 500 or the July Daytona race, it's going to happen every year or every race minus the duels. I think that statistically speaking, the only plate race with this super speedway package to not have a last lap crash was the one in Daytona in July of 2019. And the only reason why there wasn't a last lap crash is because it was a rain delay. And even then, if you want to get technical, the lap before they threw the caution, they crashed. So it's like, even in a race where they had a rain delay, they had a huge wreck before the rain delay. So it's like, I just, with this package, I don't see any way that they're going to prevent that. I mean, even in the, the cleanest, the cleanest of these super speedway races was Talladega in the spring last year. And even then, Eric Jones got squeezed up into the wall on the last lap and crashed. So it's like, if they do it in the clean races, I don't see how it's going to be different anywhere else. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't see how you're wrong. Uh, I, I would say this is one of the trends that, that are going to continue. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't see us having another clean, a clean last lap until we get to the next gen car. And that's just because we don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. And um, with that being said, I know that you've got some really, really bold predictions and I'm very curious to hear them. So, you know, just just give them to me and I'll I'll do my best to debate you on them. All right. 
Well, I'm going to go kind of out of order than what we talked about before, so just bear with me a little bit. I mean, we just talked about the Xfinity title. I think there's a great possibility that A.J. Allmendinger could win the Xfinity title. And only am I basing that on the fact that he won in Atlanta last year. Because prior to that, I thought he was another person that was kind of like a Marco Sambros or a Juan Pablo Montoya where he's not ever going to get over the edge of winning at an over race despite being good on them. Makes, that I makes think sense. the fact that it's on a flat track, mm, yeah, yeah, I, I think that the, the it's being decided on a flat track gives him an advantage over the possibility of other guys that could get in. I also believe that you're 100% right. I think that the fact that he's got experience in cup over all of these guys, it's it's going to make him extremely dangerous. And I think the only thing that makes me worry on him is how college is going to go with an extra car. Because obviously having a third full-time car is going to make him spread the resources out. So really the team – the team is the only question mark. I think it's it's a perfectly logical prediction for Almendinger as a driver to be capable of winning a title. Yeah, and then um, my next point is going to be one that might be a little bit controversial, um, but I think it's something that a lot of fans might not like, but I think NASCAR needs for a broader um, part of the sport. That's um, – Haley Deegan getting a win at the Knoxville dirt race. She's going full-time truck racing. I know recent events has her caked as someone who's not really uh, should be in the limelight of sport, but I don't think NASCAR is going to back down from that because they want a female protagonist. So I think that um, she's going to stick around for a long time, despite um, past uh, aggressions. Um, but she won in Las Vegas on the dirt. I think she can do it again, even if it is with another dirty move at Knoxville. Yeah, I'm very interested to see this for a multitude of reasons. Um, I'm not going to go all the way in like you are <laughs> just this early because I think that this is really – she did one truck race last year and kind of, and she ran all right. I think it's just a matter of stiffer competition because in the races that she ran in – KNN West or whatever, there were only like three or four cars that could have realistically won those races. And I don't even think the fields were 10 cars. And same goes for Arca. So it's um, it's just a matter of whether or not she's able to replicate that when the playing field is a lot more diverse than what she's normally gone up against. Because we don't know if some of these guys like Stuart Friesen or some of the other truck drivers that are good on dirt are going to do because, you know, they're she's she's racing against a bunch of guys that can win now. She's not just racing against three or four. Yeah, and that's going to be the biggest thing that she has to hurdle herself over. Um, but I'm going to move along here. Most of my picks are, or my points, I should say, are kind of just really, really thin margins of actually happening, but I believe they could. My next is going to be... Uh, the most loved and the most hated driver at the same time winning the 500, that's Bubba Wallace. And I think the way he's going to do it is being pushed uh, across the line 23-11. And I say that um, just based on the fact that I think that would be good for the sport. Uh, I 
no, there's been some uh, officiating um, kind of maneuvering races around. We've heard it before uh, recently with an interview with Jeff mm -hmm. Gordon um, about manipulations of the race. And I, I'm not saying that it's going to happen uh, based on manipulation, but I wouldn't be surprised if 2311 went across the line first with the number 23 car and the number 11 pushing him. I I guess, like I said, I'll jump right into this. I think that, like you said, Bubba's a good plate racer. Um, it'd be a great story. So I think that all of those things line up for me. The only thing that I could debate you on here is whether or not Denny Hamlin would really want to just sit in second and not make an honest effort to win the race in a fair manner. Because I listened to his media day session the other day, and I think that if you heard the way he talks, he talked about everything involved in running 2311 is done for him. It was done for him the moment it was February 1st. And I think that he said it himself, everything now is about getting his, getting his FedEx team, in his own words, getting his FedEx team another Daytona 500. I think that it doesn't mean that he will not help Bubba Wallace in the draft. I just don't. I don't see him willingly laying back and letting somebody else win Daytona 500, even if it's a teammate. I just think that knowing how he handled Bristol, he's like, he even said it. He's like, yeah, I wanted to Benedetto to win, but at the end of the day, it's also his job to go win the race himself and for his team. And I think that knowing how high of a standard he holds himself to, because you could see that. August Daytona race last year where Byron won. He was beating himself up on the radio about, you know, he had a chance to win another plate race and he 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 didn't he didn't pull in front of Byron at the right time and he let him go. And I just don't I don't think that when he has a chance at history like that, that he's gonna just willingly let it go. I think that if Bubba Wallace was leading on the last lap, I don't think he would wreck him. I don't think he would go that far, but I think that he would make an honest attempt to pass him in a clean manner. So that's the only point where I can, I won't see eye to eye. I just think that Hamlin is going to, he's going to get greedy as all drivers usually do when they see the, the flag, you know, they see a checkered flag, like I want it. And it's not just any checkered flag. It's three Daytona 500s in a row. So I don't know if I have that, if I had a chance at doing that, I don't think I would let anything sway me away from prioritizing it. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. Uh, I see your points, and they're totally valid. I just, I don't know, the sensationalist in me, knowing that um, Dale Earnhardt Sr. basically pushed his two cars to a Daytona 500 win. Of course, I think, had he not tragically uh, passed in the last, you know, quarter of that last lap of the race, um, he probably would have done the same thing you're talking about now with uh, this example between Bubba and Denny. Uh, that's just where my, I guess, sensationalist in me want, want something like that to happen because I think it would just be a beautiful moment for the sport. Um, but moving along to my last point, um, and this is probably the most realistic that I can think of. Um, Austin Sendrick is going to win more cup races this year than three Hendrick drivers. Now, I'm not saying combined. I'm saying than three Hendrick drivers. I think he could pull off one or two wins at a road course. And I 
think the only person that's going to eclipse two wins from the Hendrick stable is Chase Elliott. So I feel like Kyle Larson, despite the talent, him being back in a new, better car than ever, I don't think he's going to get more than two wins. I don't think that Alex Bowman is going to get more than two wins. And I don't think that William Byron is going to get more than one win. So I could see Austin Sendrick winning two road course races and that being more than the other three Hendrick guys that aren't named Chase Elliott. What do you have to say about that? This is, this is by far, I think, the hottest take, and I think it's going to be the most fun one to debate. So yeah, I don't know. It depends on how the competition is at the road courses. Um, I think Cup is kind of a different ball game in the sense that a lot of the drivers in Cup are slowly becoming more elite at that type of racing Guys mentioned it in media day about how they have to become better at a road course. And I think that with Chase Elliott and Martin Truex being the top two by a country mile, I think that everyone from third on back is going to like, they have a little reality check. They're thinking, you know, we need to, we need to get better at this. And I think it's going to affect the whole series. So I don't know if Austin Sendrick were to come in and win a road race as a rookie a part-time rookie against someone as good as Elliot or Truex, I think that would be that would probably be a massive display of talent. And I think that I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying that it would take a lot to do that. So I wouldn't mind seeing it. I think it'd be pretty cool because I like I didn't like Austin Sundrick at first. Now I like him. So I I would definitely welcome it, but I just don't see how I don't know. I mean even if you were to win one, I still think Alex Bowman or Kyle Larson could win two races if they had to. Because I think Alex Bowman's headed in a good direction. And I think Kyle Larson, if he can win Bristol Dirt and win one more race, he's already there too. So it's just – it's like a wait-and-see thing. So I, I this will by far be the, the most controversial for us. Yeah, well, we'll have to look at the end of the year, uh, what we've come up with, and see if that was an actual finding. Um, we got, like, what, 38 weeks before we get there, so yeah. we'll find out uh, in a little while. <laughs> but uh, that kind of sums up the meat of the podcast today, so I guess we're going to get out of here pretty quickly. I'm going to go ahead and do our first rapid-fire segment um and usually we'll flesh out previews um for the upcoming weeks but i think speed week is pretty much self-explanatory we've already talked about quite a lot of it um so far so um basically i'm gonna go ahead and ask you nathan um okay. about right. each of these four topics and then i'll answer really quickly not really gonna debate these with each other um okay. but uh Let's go ahead and do a Speed Weeks preview in a rapid fire. All righty. So, Clash Predictions, what's going to happen? I think it's going to be uh, 90% of the race, Chase Elliott, Martin Truex. They're going to be in a zip code of their own. And then maybe a little bit of chaos on one of the restarts. But aside from that, it's, it's not going to be that special compared to what we're used to with the Clash. So, that's that. 
Yeah, for me, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the 19 or the 9 in victory lane. And unless we get something crazy like rain, it's just going to be a low lot of meh. Uh, what about your poll winner? We've always had some um, excitement <laughs> over who's going to win it. Well, I Hendrick Motorsports, I don't see any way that they don't win the poll based on their usual performance in the 500 qualifying. So I'm, I'm leaning towards um, Alex Bowman or William Byron for that. That's just my 10 cents. Um, some of them don't have any exciting conspiracy theories about it. <laughs> yeah, conspiracy me would say that one of the new teams would do it, but uh, I'm going to stick with Hemendrick with you, and I'm going to say uh, a rightful return in the new car um, for Kyle Larson, and we're going to see Kyle Larson to the five turn into Kyle Larson to the Daytona 500 pole. Okay. Yeah. How about um, your uh, How about your duels? Well, the duels, uh, whether or not they're going to be chaotic, is is a fun topic to say. I think usually we have one that is and one that's not. So um, we don't know who's going to be in either duel yet. But I have a feeling that the first duel is going to be the crazy one, and the second one will be the calm one. I would not at all be surprised. I agree wholeheartedly. I think that. They're gonna they're gonna see what's going on after the first duel, and whether or not the first duel is calm or chaotic, they're gonna go off of that. If the first duel is calm, I think the second one will be too. But if the first one's a mess, then I think the second one's gonna be a lot more sensible than the next. And um, leading under that, I guess uh, you want to give me your five hundred winner. Yeah, so my five hundred winner. Um... You kind of changed my mind over the course of the night um, after we had that uh, discussion about the surprise cup winners. I think I'll I'll say Eric Jones in the 43 in that beautiful arm roll scheme. Oh, man. Yeah, I would – I'm a huge Hamlin fan, and I put him over everyone else, but I would – I'd be pretty excited to see Eric Jones win too because I love orange. It's a cool paint scheme. Um, it's cool to see a driver like him redeem himself and – I would like it in every single way, minus the fact that to be beating my driver. So with that being said, I'm going to go another way with upsets. I'm thinking Chris Buescher is my 500 pick. He's always been in contention in the last few plate races, super speedways in general. And I think that if he's in contention and the top two or three uh, mess around a little bit too much, they could they could very well hand him a win. So that's the reason I'm going with him. All right. Well, that's going to just about wrap it up for us, guys. If you've made it this far, I want to thank you for coming to the first episode of Fan Fuel. And uh, go ahead and give us a like or a follow on Twitter. Uh, we've got the Twitter handle of Fan Fuel Podcast. Um, and that's all lowercase at Fan Fuel Podcast. Um, if you want us to say anything on the show in the coming weeks or what. You know, what questions you have, what concerns you have for 2021, anything like that. Um, go ahead and let us know on, on Twitter there. Um, go ahead and and say anything regarding motorsports in general for you. If you want to ask us about some off-the-wall thing that happened in, you know, motocross or something later this year, we'll look into it and we'll probably feature it on the show if it's interesting. Um, and then also... 
I'm going to go ahead and ask you guys, what do you think that last rapid fire segment should be called? Um, we've kind of come up with fast fuel. Maybe, kind of think uh, that's kind of corny though. Yeah. Maybe gas and go or something. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, if you guys think anything uh, kind of quirky or fun like that, just let us know and yeah. we'd love to hear from you. So this yeah. is fan fuel. This is episode one and we are done.